Hockey fans, this is Mike Chambers with the Denver Post. I am with Ryan Bolding, freelance writer, uh, former Avalanche PR guy, former uh, self-made blogger, uh, former a little bit of everything. Uh, thanks for joining me again, Rhino. Um, it is August 15th, and we had a great day. I had a great day. Uh, getting Avalanche off-season content uh, at Joe Sackick's uh, golf tournament. Today, uh, we got Joe on the record talking about Miko Rantanen uh, and a number of other subjects, and we also ran into Peter Forsberg. I got stories online on both of those subjects, uh, Joe talking about Miko and then uh, Peter Forsberg talking about a little bit of everything. Uh, you just heard that noise, and we tried to tone it down because we got some complaints from our last podcast. We are still at Fun 95 here in South Glen, but we're on the patio, and we're trying to be really quiet, and there's not a lot of spectators out here. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> during my intro, we hear that loud motorcycle go by. At least he was fast. Yeah. So, uh... It's not going to be as loud as last time. Hopefully, y'all can hear us a little better. But uh, thanks for tuning in, and hopefully uh, you'll enjoy this. Let's uh, dig right in. Actually, I want to talk about Anthony Chambers for a second. Tonight is Anthony's last day working at Fun 95 here at South Glen. Uh, he's worked here all summer. He's, <laughs> he's heading up to Saskatchewan, or actually he and I are, uh, on the 26th. And we're driving his truck up there, and then he's uh, he's joining the Weybird and Red Wings of the Saskatchewan Junior Hockey League, and then I, I stay for training camp and a preseason game, and then I, fl- I fly back. So really cool opportunity for my son here, and uh, we're going to toast uh, a beer after this for a little bit and uh, and uh, congratulate Anthony for his his uh, his gig up in Saskatchewan, and obviously a good summer here working at Fa. Chasing and, the dream. Yeah, he is chasing the dream. He's he's got a lot of exciting ideas, and uh, uh, he loves Canadian hockey. Uh, who who doesn't? Anybody that plays hockey. So he's got a great opportunity to play junior hockey up there, and uh, so that's what he's going to do. Let's uh, jump into Miko and 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 what Joe Sackick said here today. Um, he said that. Don't worry, uh, I'm not concerned. We have another three weeks before camp. Uh, but as you and I know and have talked about in the past, it's a little more complicated than that because Miko is in that bunch of RFAs coming out of their ELCs, their entry-level contracts, that, that, that uh, the dominoes have to fall there. And, and, you know, if none of these guys sign a contract, maybe none of them, are going to be signed by training camp. What do you think? This is, I mean, it's it's not going to be a simple negotiation, too. You know, if they're not in the, the heat of negotiating back and forth now, I mean, three weeks isn't a whole lot of time to, to come to an agreement. It's not like they're sitting in a conference room in a boardroom all day, every day, talking, you know. And, and like you said, the dominoes have to fall if none of these guys sign. You know, everybody's waiting on everybody else to not be the first one to sign a deal and maybe not get as much money as they're looking for. You know, that's that could hold up everybody. The other RFAs that we're talking about are Kyle Connor and Patrick Laine of the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, 
obviously uh, Mitch Marner of the Toronto Maple Leafs, and he's a big comparison with Miko because stat-wise they're neck and neck there. But there's others like uh, Matthew Kachuk in Calgary, Brock Besser in, in Vancouver, Braden Point in Tampa. Um, I mentioned today in my story that among all those players that I just mentioned, Miko leads all of them last season in assists and points per game. So you got to think Miko's going to be in the upper echelon of whatever the market becomes. And he should be. And he should be. Same with Marner. Um, but the thing is, is, is if, if the Avs really wanted him to come to training camp or make sure that he's there at day one and these other guys don't sign, they're, they're going to have to give him a pretty fat contract, fatter than a lot of these guys think the market is. Yeah, especially, you know, if, if he's coming into camp without a contract, you know, it's something we don't really see all the time. Well, I don't think that'll happen. Uh, and, and, yeah, I mean, he risks injury or, you know, whatever. So it just seems unlikely that that would happen, right? So you're, you're either going to have to decide you're going to set the market or you're going to play chicken until the last minute. Yeah. Well, the Avs have plenty of money to spend. They're uh, almost $16.5 million under the salary cap, which is Miko to sign. Uh, so obviously if they threw $10 million at the player over seven years, um, it, that's something that they could do and handle this problem right now. But, you know, if, if, if they want to – something tells me that the Avalanche right now are at a long-term deal at – Eight million annually, and 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 Miko's camp is at ten, uh, uh, so you know maybe the, the that number is nine. But uh, Joe did say that he called Miko and Finland, and they agreed that it's going to be a long-term deal, that they don't want a, pri- a a bridge deal and have to go through this again in a year or two. So it is going to be a long-term deal. Uh, it, it's just that big fat number is it 70 million 80 million or whatever but uh it's going to be interesting to see but obviously colorado has a lot of money miko's not going to ask for 12 million uh he he's very signable uh uh, and at some point he's going to be signed i I think the question is 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 he going to be signed and can he go through an entire training camp as we've talked about when you see what happened with nylander last year and it's not a good situation for the player to miss time you know ultimately you, you get the money you want but it's it's going to be a detriment to his conditioning and you know he's got the chemistry with these guys but I mean he's going to start a step behind right it doesn't it doesn't benefit him but he's he's going to want to get his money it's interesting that that Joe said he called him and talked to him it wasn't a negotiation but he yeah. talked to him about a long-term deal you and I both agree all the time that he's the nicest person you'll ever meet right so it, it seems interesting like maybe they're trying to get miko on their side a little bit well just he, he's he's like, let's confirm right that he's such a nasty. nice guy i'm sure joe said yeah i didn't call i just wanted to check in and see how his summer was and and, and then just confirm that we're on the same page in terms of term but i think I think that was a good move by Joe because it kind of humanizes the uh, negotiations. It makes it more like, hey, we're buddies. Yeah, it puts a face on it. Yeah. You know, something that could get and probably will get nasty and heated at some point in the negotiation process. 
Um, but, you know, having been on the PR side too, I always wonder, you know, exactly what the behind the scenes reality of a situation is. I, I've, I've texted Mike Lewitt. I, I don't know how you pronounce his name. It's, it's L I U T, but that's Miko's agent. And, and, uh, I texted him a couple weeks ago and I texted him today, no response. I'm not saying that, that, that really means anything, but, um, because everybody's different, but it, it, it generally speaking, I would think that that, that means that, you know, he's, he's not saying anything because there's nothing positive to talk about. But Joe did admit today that, that they really haven't, uh, talked to Miko's camp since the draft or, or, or a little bit after that. So, so it's, it's, it's just a waiting game. And again, it all circles back to, is Miko going to be there at, at training camp? Uh, I, w- I would say if these other guys don't sign by then, I don't think Miko is going gonna, is gonna to be there for opening day. It all seems so casual when, when you look at like the Marner situation in Toronto. It's like Marner watch up there and out here, you know, it's like, you know, take the tie off, unbutton the shirt, we'll get it done when it gets done kind of thing. But you're running out of time now. You know, you're running out of time for, well, we haven't really talked about it time. You should be talking about it. Yeah, but it's a little different in Toronto because they don't have the money to even pay Marner. Absolutely. I mean, they have to make moves to to even generate some money for him. So it's pretty complex in Toronto, and it is the hotter topic, but that's obviously the hotter hockey market too, let's face it. Well, the Avs are in a nice position because even if they sign Miko for $10 million a year, they still have room for some sort of midseason acquisition or change if needed. Okay, let's go into that. Goalies, uh, maybe the only question mark for the Avalanche uh, moving forward in 2019-20. And uh, I've got this interesting stat. They are relatively inexperienced. Grubauer has been a number one. He was a number one in in Washington, and he was a number one, obviously, late last season in the playoffs, which is why the Avalanche got into the playoffs, because of the way that he played. But he and uh, Frank Kuz, who is in his second year in North America, uh, combined, their, their cap hit next year is going to be a little less than $4.5 million. That's $500,000 or so less than what the New York Islanders are paying Varlamov to be a possible backup in New York. I kind of found that that's interesting. Um, but it, it circles me back, and that's why I wanted to dive into the goalies, because that, that excess money that the Avs are going to have after they sign Miko, you know, maybe they're going to need that to go get a, a goalie at some time during the season, because, again, that's the most unproven position on the team would be interesting you know i don't see them signing a goalie for five million if grubauer's making what three three point five three point three um that would be kind of a slap in the face to him but there there is money there you know we've talked about it and the backup position i mean he played two games in relief last year you know he is an unproven nhl goalie and you have no idea what you're getting. You think you know what you're getting, but you, you can't be sure. And you're hoping that Grubauer is end-of-season Grubauer all year long. And there's no lulls and there's no letdowns and the team doesn't just fall apart like they did. Um, and, you know, indication would be that they won't do that. You know, they've improved. But it's a big if. I mean, 
hockey, you know, a guy gets hurt, that changes the whole makeup of everything. So you're, you're looking at this like they've got the, the room to make adjustments, but, I mean, Francuz is, to me, the biggest question mark on the entire roster. Yeah. <laughs> Why? Because he catches right or he's six, five foot, 11 and a half. Well, he played one year of AHL and was <laughs> like, I'm done. That's it for me. If it's not an NHL deal, I'm going back to Europe. Yeah. It, well, and the Avs gave him a deal. What, it's 925 or 950? And it's a one-way deal. Uh, it, it, he's he, he is a different goalie. He, he catches right, um, which is opposite of 90% of everybody else. And... Uh, He's not very tall. So another reason I think this might be the the shortest goaltending tandem in the NHL because, uh, you know, in a day and age that you really want a six foot four uh, guy in there, they've got two guys that are probably barely six foot. They're hoping they're faster than their taller counterparts, I guess. Yeah. Hey, let's dive into Peter Forsberg. He was uh, at Joe Sackick's golf tournament today. I ran into him. Uh, he... He said that uh, he got a text from Joe because Joe knew that he was uh, in the States. Uh, Forsberg lives in Sweden and Switzerland, and he's got his businesses over there. And, and, and Joe texted him saying, hey, if, if, if you're in the States, I've got this golf tournament, my, my annual deal. So Peter was in Philadelphia for a wedding. He was supposed to go to Mexico today. And he flew to Denver so he could golf, and uh, he looked good. He talked about the Avalanche. I wrote a story about that. Everything that we do is at at www.denverpost.com/avalanche. Um, but uh, his quote was, I I think it's the headlight in the story. Is Peter Forsberg says uh, the Avs in the next ten years, it, it's going to be fun or it's going to be good or whatever uh so he's he's drinking the kool-aid too um but uh it was good to catch up with him obviously that's uh you know when you look about at this franchise you think of guys like forsberg and you really remember how good and uh, of a team that this franchise had and how much people miss it around here and he's, he's a superstar he's a legend here you know, it's unfortunate the way things panned out with him, both contractually and you know physically, health-wise. But um, you know, this I, the thing I like about the golf term is you get a chance to talk to some of these guys away from the rink and away from the PR mumbo jumbo and the watchful eyes. Obviously, there's still some PRing going on, but uh, you know, you get the opportunity to to talk to these guys. Uh, in, a, in a more casual, relaxed environment. But at the same time, you know, with Joe, you get an opportunity to, to talk to a guy that you don't really hear a lot from during the season. Uh, so to me, that's, you know, it's a nice opportunity to sneak in and try and get those those burning questions out. And, you know, obviously the ranting in topic is huge. But to hear a guy like Peter Forsberg, who, you know, obviously is involved in, in sports in Switzerland and in Sweden with Modo and everything, being high on the Avalanche team, I think it says a lot about the way that this franchise has kind of turned the ship around, you know, relatively quickly. Obviously, it was a a, a bit of a drag for a long time for the organization as a whole, but it's it's been a quick rebuild lately. 
Like I say, Ryan, it was a it was a big off season day for me here. I mean, we're always searching for content uh, at this time of year, and and uh, so it was a good day on that front. Uh, I'm going on another vacation, and then I'm coming back for 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 training camp. But uh, it's only three weeks away, and the rookies report on September sixth. Got the DU skate coming up quick. Yeah, the DU Pro uh, Week. Pro camp starts on Monday, um, so yeah, it's heating up. Hockey season's right around the corner. What else do you got? I think that's it. I want to know how long it's going to take you to drive to Saskatchewan. It's going to. It's supposed to be 13 hours to uh, Weyburn, another hour to, to Regina. I fly out of Regina, so I think I got to take an Uber. My son has to take me up the day I fly out, but. Uh, it's pretty cool. I'm going to see a, a exhibition game in Estevan, which is actually south. Weyburn and Estevan are the two most southern cities of the SJ. Um, last year, my son was in camp in Humboldt, and he was among the final cuts there. But uh, So he's going back to Canada. He's giving it another shot in this league, but he's signed this time. So he it's, it's not like he's just trying to find a roster spot he already has one but he still has to go up there and perform but again it's a lot of fun man junior hockey in canada is a lot different than junior hockey in the states i mean you've got the ushl and 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 that's the highest level of hockey in north america in terms of level but i in terms of (laughs) junior hockey it doesn't get any better playing in in canada so it's going to be a lot of fun and and uh I'm looking forward to that trip. I haven't experienced junior hockey in Canada, anything other than NHL. The, I mean, not really the closest I've gotten, but preseason at the Colisée de Pepsi in Quebec City, yeah. you know, is the closest I've gotten to a, a non-NHL NHL experience in Canada, um, and that was pretty exciting. But I have driven from here to Canada. And we drove, me and Brad Lukow drove Mikhail Grigorenko's car to his house in Quebec City straight through. It was 30 and a half hours. From where? From here. 30 and a half hours to Quebec. To Quebec City. I would think it was longer, man. Uh, we hit some traffic outside of Montreal. It was like rush hour outside of Montreal. Yeah. So that, that kind of slowed us down a little bit. But And we drove straight through the night. We went in through Detroit. Crossed the border there, drove through Ontario. Okay, I got a story for you. I think we're talking about the same trip. It was the preseason trip from Montreal yeah. to Quebec. Yes. Okay, I was on that trip, and I flew into Montreal, and then I rented a car and drove three hours to Quebec. And, and Jean Martineau of the Avalanche was like going, dude, the flights are, are, are so easy. Yeah, we flew, we flew from Montreal to Quebec City, and it was... I didn't even think it was 45 minutes. I didn't have enough time to eat my dinner after the game, yeah. and we were landing already. Well, apparently it's a it's a quick flight. It's an easy flight, but I chose to drive, and then I had to drive back to Montreal, and I flew out. But, man, you talk about those those two towns, and, and if you ever have an opportunity to go to a real hockey town or, or just a different hockey town, uh, Montreal and Quebec City obviously are way at the top of the list. It's kind of hard for me, having been there and having seen hockey in Quebec City, and this is obviously before they opened the new facility, and it was in the old building, uh, which was kind of scary to be in. Um, 
it, it makes me feel bad every time Quebec can't seem to get that expansion team. You know, like I know there's a lot more politics and things involved, um, but it's a pretty rabid fan base that could build an NHL size arena. And they host the, the international Pee Wee tournament every year, and they've got the Remparts playing there, and they've got all this stuff going on. It's a rabid fan base, but for whatever reason, people don't think it's viable up there. So, you know, it, it makes me feel bad every time I see that, that somehow it's not coming together for them, having been up there and seen it in person. All right, here's a segue. Uh, last week I ran a story on Pierre Turgeon, the. Uh, the former New York Islander, Buffalo Sabre, Colorado Avalanche. He played for the Blues and uh, played for Dallas. And he had a 18- or 19-year career. And I play hockey with him now. And uh, it was a week ago Tuesday I sat down with Pierre and uh, 1998 Hall of Fame inductee Michelle Goulet, who also skates in our group. And we just talked about why Pierre is not in the Hall of Fame. A... Uh, among the top 35, I think, uh, all-time scorers, Pierre's like 32 or something, and he's the only one that's eligible that is not in the Hall of Fame. Uh, Joe Thornton is not eligible because he's still playing, and same with Yarmar Yager, who played last year. I think he's done now, but um, there's a three-year wait. Michelle Goulet scored about 30 or 40 more goals than Turgeon, but Turgeon has about 100 or so more points, and Goulet got in in his second year of eligibility, so four years after he retired, um, and for some reason, we can't understand why Pierre uh, has has been snubbed, and I'll tell you what, and I talked to Joe Sackick about this today, is there's not a better person out there. No, I mean, Pierre Turgeon is is an awesome high character guy so that's got nothing to do with it anyhow if you get a chance read my story it's uh, at denverpost.com uh, sl- slash avalanche and it's a good read it's got Pierre's take Michelle Goulet's take and I think I'm going to probably add what Joe Sackick told me here today but uh, it's an interesting uh, story about a guy who really deserves to be in the Hall of Fame and you know, maybe it's because he played for so many different teams because he was traded, he bounced around. But, uh, you know, here's a guy that uh, I, th- I think 515 goals and something like 1,200 points, over 1,000 games played. And he and Michelle both averaged more than a point a game. I think if you average more than a point a game with over 1,000 games played, you should be pretty much automatic in the Hall of Fame. Well, he's playing through the clutch and grab era, too. Where exactly. He, you know, the scoring yeah. came at a, it was a minimum. I think, uh, you know, he's a great guy. We both know that he's a great guy. And I wonder, somewhere along the lines, if he didn't ruffle some feathers somehow, that's that's hurting him. And one of the things I've heard uh, Jeff Merrick and Elliot Friedman talk about, and I was just looking it up so I didn't totally screw it up, was the 1987 Summit Series between Canada and the Soviet Union. Was that the big fight? There was the big fight. And, and he was the only one on the bench. sat on the bench the whole time. He didn't leave the bench. Now, I'm not saying that it's something that should determine his Hall of Fame career. To me, that'd be ridiculous. But if there are a lot of people from that era who, who were in the media who are now on the committee that's voting on this, you know, holding a grudge like that, I know it's ridiculous. Is Ryan, is Ryan O'Reilly a great hockey player? I would say so. 
Ryan O'Reilly, I don't think, is ever going to get in a fight in the NHL. He's certainly not a big, tough guy hitter. Um, he, he, I mean, I remember when people are criticizing him because he doesn't take penalties. Yeah, well, he's he... soft because he doesn't take penalties. Well, but does he go in the corner and get the puck out? Yeah. <laughs> he does. That's, I mean, that's the thing. I don't, it's, it's like this weird holding one guy to another guy's standard, you know, for, for making the Hall of Fame. Zubov should have been in the Hall of Fame, I think, years ago. Yeah. I don't know who you don't put in, in 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 favor of him, but you know, there's there's a lot of I think politics involved too. What happened in 1987? I think if anything, it, it, it supports the fact that you can't have bench clearing brawls anymore. Otherwise, you get kicked out of the league or whatever it is, or suspended. Right? Pierre's not a fighter. Uh, he sat there on the bench. Does that mean he's a wussy? Uh, not necessarily. I mean, if he played as long as he did and as well as he did in the NHL, I mean, he's not a wuss. It takes a lot of hard work. You know, he just didn't want to fight, and I think we're, as we try to get beyond that and prove that you don't have to fight to be in the NHL or, or to play hockey at all, you know, how can we look back on an incident like that and use it against them for the Hall of Fame? I don't I don't think that that's fair, but here's something. I, 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 I've talked to a lot lately because one of his teammates with the Islanders was a guy named Rich Pilon. Remember Rich? Number 47? Well, that's going to be Anthony's coach up in Weyburn. Yeah, so you're getting the details. Yeah, so so, uh, so Pierre is telling me how much of a beauty, and Goulet too, about how much of a beauty Rich is. And uh, he was a shutdown D. Um, wasn't super skilled, but he was the the kind of guy that you wanted on your team. And 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 Turgeon said, "Look, look at the tape when uh, Dale Hunter blew me up after I scored a goal uh, against the Washington Capitals. I think it was uh, in the playoffs that that, that put Turgeon out. I think a concussion and a shoulder. Um, he said, "Look, he said, look at the." Uh, Replay of that. Rich is the guy who comes flying in, and sure enough, I went on video and I looked at it, and Rich does come flying in, like like he's completely airborne, uh, and he he just blows up Dale Hunter. For folks who want to see some classic NHL stuff, like Google Pierre Turgeon, Dale Hunter, uh, big big hit after Turge scored a goal, but. Uh, yeah, so that's that's Anthony's coach, and and it's something that I feel really good about because my son is a shutdown D. He's not an offensive guy. Uh, he he's a team guy. He's a high character guy, but he's not going to score a ton of goals for you. So Rich Pilon, we think is just going to love him. That's a perfect fit. Yeah, I got to know Pierre through the alumni association because he was doing events as an alumni, and I got to uh, go to Hey Duke's Colorado Sports Hall of Fame induction to do a story on it for the team website at the time and I was sitting at a table with Hey Duke and Terjan and we were right next to Vinny Castilla's table who he was getting inducted as well but it was a great night just you know getting there to to talk and and hear stories from both of those guys but I was sitting right next to Pierre and just getting to talk to him he's the nicest guy you know it's it's unfathomable that there could be a political reason for why he, he couldn't be. Yeah, and, and, and anybody that knows Turge knows that, you know, he's got a really heavy heart. He lost a twin daughter, and, you know, uh, Elizabeth Turgeon was going to be a 
maybe an Olympic hockey player. She was unbelievable at hockey, and she was going to the University of Minnesota, and she she died in a car accident in Texas, and and, and it's just uh, you know anybody that really knows Terjan and his family are are pulling for him, and I I got a lot of great response from the story, and it just really makes sense. And again, for anybody that knows Terj, and it's a must read because it really supports what needs to happen with that guy. He belongs in the Hall of Fame. Absolutely. It was a it was a bummer to see he went to L.A. as the like the off ice coach, you know, up there. He, I think they him. called him the offensive coordinator. Yeah. It was a very weird position. It was interesting that they were trying something like that, and unfortunate that it you know, didn't really work out. But I imagine, you know, he's lived here for so long that being out there isn't really his cup of tea, you know, if it's not the right opportunity. But like you said, we're pulling for him. Michelle Goulet, I mean, <laughs> the, the typical Colorado hockey fan, I mean, he skates with us now, and, and, and some newcomers are like, Who's that? I'm like, well, that's Michelle Goulet. You know, <laughs> it's unfortunate because he played most of his career in Quebec, and, and he and he's got his jersey retired in Quebec, but they don't have a team anymore. I really think the Avalanche should honor those those who had their jersey retired with the Nordiques because that's that's the franchise have, now. Yeah, he's got. For me, if you go back historically to the organization in Colorado, got screwed out of being GM too. He was on the GM track. Yeah. You know, and a bit of a, an internal coup kind of changed that that direction. And then, you know, now he's a scout. He's in the the press box all the time. Still got probably the strongest handshake I've ever felt. Yeah. In my life with his big bare hands. Oh, everybody knows who he is in the in the press box for sure. He, he he's a you know, he's another guy like Pierre. He never won a cup as a player. He won two cups as a Colorado executive. He was director of player personnel or something. But uh, you're right. He he was basically in that assistant GM role with the Avs under Pierre. And, and there was some kind of blow up in the organization that three or four or five executives got let go. And, uh, and, and Michelle was among them. But... Uh, you know, it's just funny to have these Hall of Famers or close to Hall of Famers here in Colorado, and and I'll tell you what, it's a thrill to play hockey with them. I bet. I'm jealous. Well, you're always welcome. I don't know. I'd be the worst one out there, I think. Well, for sure. Michelle's not in such great shape. He's got two new hips, but, uh, you know, our, our group, we have 20-somethings. We have 60-somethings, so... I play. Everybody's I'm, welcome. I'm in hockey shape right now. So Tues- Tuesday and Friday over lunch. Ryan, once again, thank you. I'm going to buy you a bucket of beer here. We're at Fun 95. Uh, thanks for those who are listening. We hope that you enjoyed a more quiet traffic in front of the net this time, and we'll probably less be less, <laughs> less, less noise in front of the net. But, Ryan, thank you so much. I'm Mike Chambers. Uh, Thanks for listening.